1519, Spanish conquistador Hernando Cortez landed on the Yucatan Peninsula on the shores of Mexico. He had one objective, and that was to seize the greatest treasure that was known to be there under the possession of the Aztecs. He was committed to the mission. He had 500 soldiers and 100 sailors who landed on the shores. They came in 11 ships. The question of history has been, how did this relatively small band of Spanish soldiers arrive in a strange land and swiftly bring about the overthrow of such a large and powerful empire, an empire that had been standing for six centuries? For Cortez, the answer was easy. He said it was all or nothing, a complete and total commitment is what Cortez had for this objective. He took away the option of failure. It was either conquer and enjoy the victory or die. When Cortez and his men arrived on the shores, he rallied them for one final speech before leading them into battle. Three words that changed the course of history as he said to the men, burn the ships. Burn the ships. There will be no retreat. It is only victory that we have in front of us. Now, historians speculate whether or not he actually did have them burn those ships, or maybe he just had them uh, repurposed for a time. But either way, they agree they were not going to be ships that were going to be used for a retreat. He went in with absolute and total commitment. And as I think about that story, I think about how necessary commitment is in so many areas of life. If we want to have victory whether it be in the workplace or in school, whether it be in, uh, in athletics or, or even in the home. To see victory in a marriage relationship requires total commitment, doesn't it? As we think about our spiritual lives, we're also going to see this morning that Jesus calls for total commitment. We began the new year with a, a short series emphasizing spiritual growth. The, uh, the title is Catalyst, Spark Your Spiritual Growth. And we began on the, uh, the first Sunday of the new year in John chapter 15. And we saw the role that we, that we have, uh, the, the role that the Holy Spirit plays in, uh, in, in, in bearing fruit in our lives as, as uh, Jesus being the vine, we being the branches. And we were, we were reminded that, that we are nourished and nurtured spiritually because of Him and what He does in us and through us. That first and foremost, spiritual growth or a healthy spiritual life is dependent upon the role of the Holy Spirit, the work of, 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 of Christ in us and through us. We saw last week that, that another aspect of our spiritual life is worship, for us to consider the greatness of God, His power, His majesty, what not only who He is, but, but what He has done. And how, how when we worship Him, we come to ascribe to Him His glory. And how when we worship, we come to draw near for a fresh encounter with Him. That it's a, a very personal, intimate relationship that we have with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. These are some of the, the ways in which He grows us spiritually. Because as we've already seen, God, God did not purpose for us to have a half-hearted spiritual walk. He doesn't want us to have an apathetic or lethargic spiritual life. He wants our lives 
to flourish and to grow. And He's given us the means necessary that we can have, that we can have growth in our spiritual lives. Today, the focus of the message is going to bring it in to our commitment and to see that, that Christ doesn't call for a half-hearted commitment, but a total commitment in which we can say, Yes, Lord, You are my life. You are my focus. You are my source. I am all in in this relationship with you. I don't want to have divided loyalties. I don't want to get caught up with the the distractions of this world. Although we would all agree that there are many, aren't there? As we look around, we get get pulled into other responsibilities. We get pulled into other demands. There are other, other thoughts that are competing for the time and attention that we want to give to the Lord. But I hope today we can see that our commitment to Him really stretches out and impacts all the arenas of life and that we, as followers of Him, want Him to be at the very center of who we are and what we are about. It's a call to total commitment. And it's really not a call that is, that is uh, unfamiliar to us. In fact, as we, as we read through the New Testament, we, we come into a, an occasion where there is a, a young man who is referred to as the rich young ruler who comes in and, 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 and really gives evidence that he wants to, to, uh, uh, to follow and be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And the Lord knows him and knows his heart and tells him that he's lacking one thing. The problem wasn't that he was a person of resources. The problem was that those resources were the top priority of his life. And so Christ knew that he wasn't going to compete with those. It was a commitment, a total commitment that was called for. And what did the young man do? It says that he walked away and that he was sad, right? He saw the, the, uh, the, 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 the pull. And I think our day is the same in which, in which we also can struggle with whether or not the commitment that we give to Jesus Christ will be a total one. And so, yes, there is a, a, a theme of spiritual growth which, which reminds us that He is at work, that He produces the growth. But there's also a theme that comes right alongside that says we as believers have responsibility, Right? It's not just a hands-off approach to our spiritual lives. There is a call, a call for commitment. As we think about this, I'm reminded of a book that I, I read several years ago uh, by Jerry Bridges called The Pursuit of Holiness. I may have, I may have mentioned it before. It's one of, my, one of my all-time favorites. In fact, the, the year that I read The Pursuit of Holiness... Everybody in my family got it as a gift for Christmas, okay? We looked at the Christmas tree and all the gifts, whether my parents, my brother, they all, they all were the same, right? Because I thought everybody needed to read this book. Well, he begins the book by giving an illustration from the, uh, from the uh, world of agriculture. He says, you know, when a, when a farmer wants to have a crop, there are things that are within his control. What are they? Well, he's got to work the soil, right? He's got to move the obstructions out of the soil. He's got to plant the seed. He's got to fertilize There's things that that he has a responsibility to do. He cannot not do those things and then try to show up later to see how the harvest is coming, right? There isn't one. But there are also some things that that are out of his control. He can work the land, he can plant the seed, he can fertilize, but he can't make it rain, can he? Unless I guess you think about irrigation, right? But in 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 the illustration, you know, there's things out of his control. Weather, pestilence. There's other, other factors and forces that are in play to make this crop productive. And Bridges begins the book by saying, we recognize 
God has a role in our spiritual growth, but we also recognize that we have responsibility. The call today in this message out of Romans chapter 12 is a call for total commitment. Not a half-hearted commitment, not a divided loyalty, but a time in which we look at the Word of God and say, yes, we are called to live a life that is totally committed to Jesus Christ. Look at Romans 12 with me today. Romans 12, beginning in verse 1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There's a lot in these two verses, isn't there? A lot here for us to draw from, for us to consider. I'm... I'm, I'm aware of the fact that these are probably verses that that you are familiar with. And so I hope that, that they will be a reminder to you and an encouragement to you of the kind of life that we are called to live before Christ. I do want to, to mention a couple things just in context of, of where we're at. Uh, since we're not going verse by verse through Romans, it's, it's probably helpful for us to pause and think about the context. Romans chapter 12 is a, is a point of transition in this book. Romans 12 begins a very practical section of of Christian living. But before that, there's a very doctrinal section, a very theological section, which is the first 11 chapters of Romans. Excellent, excellent passages, excellent uh, truths that we go back to and we we are mindful of what is is being conveyed. You know, we think about about the book of Romans, and it's the the book that reminds us of, of where we are apart from God telling us that, that all of us are sinners and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And that because we are sinners, that there is, that there is a, a destiny. There is, a, there is an outcome for our sin. In fact, it's, it's also in the book of Romans that we, that we read that the wages of sin is death. And so Paul lays it out there. He's laying out the truths of the gospel of where we are separated from a holy God in need of salvation, in need of forgiveness. Because he says, just as he says the wages of sin is death, he says, the good news, the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul lays out this theological framework of the gospel, that we have fallen, that we are in need of a Savior, that He provided, that He provided Jesus Christ, and that by His death on the cross... This idea of one becoming a substitute for another is clearly seen. And then we get into chapter 8 that says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so this is what's leading up to chapter 12. All of this truth, all of this wonderful good news about our need and how it has been provided by God through, by His mercy through Jesus Christ, His Son, through Him giving His life as a sacrifice, and us not being condemned because the sin has been dealt with on the cross. You go all the way through the book of Romans, and then you get to the end of chapter 11, which I know we read verse 1 of chapter 12, but let's, let's go back just a little more. 
Because I think this is so important. All of the teaching that Paul has been given, all of the theology, if you will, has moved him to doxology. It's moved him to a time of praise because he says here at the end of chapter 11, verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. He's thinking about who God is as well as what He has done. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? Verse 36, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. And whether it be in Romans, as you see theology leading into the practical side, or if you go into Ephesians and see how the the first few chapters of Ephesians very much a, a theological framework that then lead into a very practical conclusion in the book, we see that here. And it reminds me that beliefs really matter. People's beliefs lead to behavior. Belief leads to action. Now, how we believe as Christians, what our theological framework is, if I can, if I can say it that way, will we'll lead into how we worship. It will lead into the decisions that we make on Monday morning. What we believe drives our behavior. And this is, this is uh, exemplified even in something like 9-11. Think about the Twin Towers. Think about the airplanes. And realize that those were an overflow of someone's theology, Right? It's what they believed. It was their spiritual belief that led to their actions. We are also looking at our spiritual beliefs. And we are looking at the actions, the life that we live, and as they relate to those beliefs. So, we go into uh, chapter 12, and we look at the practical application. And we see, first of all, number one, there is a call for a total commitment. A total commitment. Following Christ, giving your life to Him, is not a life in which we we give Him part. It's not where we segment and compartmentalize. It's It's a way of giving everything, everything to Him. Giving Him our all, giving Him our best. In fact, Paul begins in verse 1 by using the phrase, I appeal to you, or I urge you. Based on God's mercies. So he's going to be talking to us here as we read about a living sacrifice, about the, the life that we give to Him. But He says at the beginning that it is by the mercies of God. So, as I read verse 1, I see that, that what we have here is a response. We have a response to what He has provided for us. We have a response to what we have learned in other parts of the book of Romans, but what we have also experienced as followers of Jesus Christ, knowing what He has done for us, knowing what He has given, knowing what He has purchased, knowing what He has made available for us. In fact, think of it this way. If we're looking for some motivation this morning on whether to give our lives unto the Lord, let's reflect on His mercy. Where would we be without God's love? Where would we be without God's forgiveness? Where would we be without His presence, the presence of His Holy Spirit at work within us, comforting, guiding, instructing? Where would we be without that? What kind of hope 
would we have here today without Jesus Christ? And we know the answers to those questions. And that is that we are in desperate need of Him. That it's all about Him. In fact, it was Isaac Watts when he wrote the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, that, that he wrote and penned these words that I think speak of a response. He says, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. This is the call. The call to total commitment is really a response. And so it's a call for total commitment that ends up in what is referred to as spiritual worship. Or uh, some versions use the word reasonable service. If you look at the end there of of verse 1. And so as you read different translations, you might think that those sound very different. ESV saying that the living sacrifice, our lives are a spiritual worship. Uh, and others saying a reasonable service or reasonable act of service. They, they come from the same Greek words, but they're just translated differently. This word uh, logikos is where we get the word logic, and uh, it, it's in some versions translated reasonable. Why is it reasonable? Why is it logical to be a living sacrifice? Because we are responding to what He has done. Why is it worship? Why is it service? It's because it's an overflow of what He has done for us. And so we, we see very closely tied together this idea of serving and worshiping. Our service is worship. Worship isn't just what happens in the, in the hour that we're together on Sunday morning or the hour and five minutes or whatever it ends up being, right? That's not, that's not the only time that we have worship. Worship takes place 24-7 through our life, through the interactions that we have with others, through the way that we see things in this world Worship happens. And so, so we live as a living sacrifice day by day. And it is part of our worship. It's part of our service. That's the end of verse 1. Let's go back to the middle and look at that expression, living sacrifice. It's the idea of, of thinking about sacrifice against the backdrop of the Old Testament. Think through about the worship of the Old Testament. Think through what people would do to come and show their, their commitment to God or to show repentance by bringing a, a sin offering or just bringing simply an, an offering to the Lord of worship. Oftentimes this was done through sacrifice, wasn't it? You can look back through the sacrificial system and you can see that, that, that many times they would bring what to their worship to be sacrificed? An animal, right? Like a lamb or something. Uh, different animals could be used, but, but let's just say, you think about the lamb, the lamb that is brought, the unblemished lamb. It was a sacrifice to bring this one, the very best out of the flock, and, and bring it before the altar, giving it to the Lord as a sacrifice. Now we know that all of that was foreshadowing another sacrifice that would happen, right? And that would be the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ on the cross. And so now we live in an an age on the other side of the cross. So this morning we didn't bring animals with us to sacrifice, did we? No, I hope not. We didn't need to do that. The sacrifice is complete. As it says in Hebrews, once for all, it's over. That sacrifice is done. But now there's a new sacrifice. A living sacrifice where we don't bring animals, but instead we give of ourselves. F.F. Bruce, in his commentary, said it this way, The sacrifices of the new order do not consist in taking the lives of others, like the ancient animal sacrifices, but 
in giving one's own life. And so it's a different type of sacrifice. But it's still a call for full and total commitment. But instead of bringing an animal, we give ourselves. And it's not just money. It's not just service. It's everything. It's giving Him our minds and our hearts and our desires. As I thought through this word sacrifice this week, it reminded me that there was always a cost associated with a sacrifice. And that even today, when we live as a living sacrifice, there is a cost associated with that. We decide for, for some things instead of others, right? And thinking about what we're going to do for the Lord and how we're going to live for Him. But we always have that, that challenge within us on whether or not we are going to give God our absolute surrender. If we're going to give Him our very best. Because as humans, we, we have that struggle, don't we? Let's, let's, let's illustrate this. Let's go back into uh, the Old Testament book of Malachi. I invite your attention there to the first chapter, just as a, as a brief illustration here. Malachi chapter 1. We go back into an age in which they did have animal sacrifices. We go back into an age in which Malachi, God's prophet, is speaking to the people of God. And the people of God in that time were very bored with God. They were very weary of serving Him. They, could, they, they did not come giving Him their hearts. They did not come to worship and, and, and give them their, Him their best. They came out of obligation. They came out of ritual. And you know what? Their hearts were not in it. And Malachi is an interesting book because he makes a statement and then they, they kind of have a defensive question after that statement. Well, what do you mean by that? And then he gives examples. In fact, let's look at, a, at one example. Uh, Malachi 1 verse 6. Let's go to the middle of the, ver- of the verse. He begins with a word to the religious leaders. He says, O priests who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? Verse 7, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. So let's just stop there for a minute. The religious leaders were not faithful. They were even saying, look, we all despise this. This idea of worship, this idea of sacrifice, deplorable. They were, they were terribly, terrible leaders. Look what they did. Verse 8, When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. So do you see what the people are doing? Did you see that, guys? That, They weren't bringing their best. They were supposed to bring the best of the flock, right? But instead, what does it say they were bringing? They were bringing the blind ones, the ones that were were not valuable to them, the ones that were sick, the ones that maybe had been hurt in a fight. They were bringing what they really didn't really want in the first place and saying, here's my sacrifice, Lord. Take this one. But you know, this was a problem. Because the sacrifices were to be unblemished. Again, what did we say a minute ago? The the sacrifices foreshadowed the perfect Lamb of God who would come. The sinless Jesus Christ. In fact, Exodus 22 and Leviticus 22 say that every offering that is made to the Lord is to be unblemished. Look at verse 31 of Exodus 22. This is even just a statement about what to do with animals who had been 
who had been in a fight in the, in the field and, and had died. There's even just some, some, some health uh, 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 thoughts here that, you know, if, 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 if the people in that time came across a dead animal, they weren't supposed to cook it up, right? It could be very, make them very sick, right? They weren't supposed to do that, but they, were, they weren't also supposed to give it as an offering, were they? What does it say here? You shall be consecrated to me. Therefore you shall not eat any, eat any flesh that is torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it... Where? What does it say, young people? To the dogs. Think about that for just a minute. Think about what the people of Malachi's time were giving to the Lord as an offering. They were giving those same kind of animals. The ones that they really didn't want. The ones that really had no value. The ones that should have been used for what? Dog food. Dog food. Do you see the parallel there? They weren't giving their best. They, weren't, they, they could care less about what they were throwing onto the altar. It was stuff worthy for dogs. And they were saying, here, Lord, take it. What is that a reflection of? It's a reflection of their hearts. That they were uninterested. They, they were not committed. That it was all a half-hearted routine that they were going through. You say, Ryan, what are we doing here today? We've looked at Romans 12. We've looked at Malachi. What are we talking about? Here's what we're talking about. If we want our lives, our spiritual lives, to really flourish, not only in 2015, but any time, if we want our spiritual lives to flourish, we will give to God what we value, what we think is important. But if we want our spiritual lives to tank, let's just give them our leftovers. Whatever we really don't care about, whatever we really don't like in the first place, give that part to God, right? That's when the spiritual lives begin to wane. Because it's a reflection of a heart that's really not heart, hot for the Lord. Not, not really, not really uh, concerned about His things. Let's not give Him the leftovers. Let's give Him our best. Whether it's our time, our treasure, or our talents, let's be living sacrifices. Not just in the sanctuary, not just in this gathering, but throughout life. Having Him at the forefront, serving others because we want to serve Him, giving to others because we give to Him, thinking about the needs of others and having compassion and grace upon them because that's what has first been extended to us. Every relationship... Every responsibility, every opportunity can have Christ at the forefront. And, and that opportunity can give us the opportunity to be a living sacrifice. Okay, that's the first point, the call to total commitment. Not easy, right? I think we would all walk away saying that is, that is not an easy call. Not an easy call to, to live with absolute uh, commitment to Him. But it is where we begin. The second one is this. There are requirements of total commitment. Look at verse 2. Let's read it again. And you'll see there are two requirements. There's, there's really a negative one and a positive one. Let's read it together. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, so what, is, what does the total commitment require? First of all, the total commitment requires 
us saying no to being conformed to the world. We have to say no to some things. To live for Christ, totally commitment. Listen to me, I'm not just talking to the young people. I'm talking to to everyone here. Living for Christ means there will be things that we say, no, not going there. I'm not going to let that, even though that's the pattern of the world, that's not going to become my pattern. Because I've been set apart. Yes, we still live in the world. We're exposed to the things of the world. But we have to make a decision on whether or not we will allow the things of the world to become our ways and to become our thoughts. In fact, in the, in the, uh, in the original language, when it speaks here of this world, it also could be translated this age, the beliefs of this age, the thoughts of this age, the, the pattern of this age. And you can see it as well as I. That there are things out there that run in contradiction to the Word of God. And so as believers, as salt and light being placed in this world, we have to make a decision. Will our commitment to Christ supersede that of being conformed to the world? That's the, that's the, the, the times in which we have to say, say no. We're called to live carefully. In fact, let me just wrap that part off up by saying it this way. We know that we are placed in the world. We know that we're here to be an influence. We know that we're here to to show a different way of life. The question will be is whether we will be molded by the world. Or or rather, can we live in in commitment to Christ in a way that, that does not conform us to the thinking of this age, to the ways of this age? But total commitment also says yes. It says yes to the renewing of our minds. It says yes to the work of the Holy Spirit within us that is wanting to teach us, wanting to train us, wanting in a very real way to change us. Because when it speaks here about being renewed in the mind, it's saying that that the Spirit of God is taking the Word of God and causing us to think differently than we used to think. And that the more we grow in our knowledge of Christ, and the more that we grow in the the knowledge of His Word, our minds continue to be renewed and allows us to be able to discern, allows us to be able to understand even His will. It says that we are transformed by the renewing of of, of our minds. That's that's an interesting word because transformed is, is really the word metamorphosis. If you were to read that in the Greek, you would see that word metamorphosis. And you think, metamorphosis is what happens when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, right? You see this change of form that is happening. And that is exactly what happens to you and me. We change. The form that we once were is changed because of who we are in Christ. We are what, is, what we are referred to as a new creation in Christ. And because we are new creatures, we no longer have to live like we once lived or think like we once thought. We've been given something new, something something that's different, and it's based upon the walk that we have with Jesus Christ. So the call here is to say no. It is a call to say yes. And through that commitment, we see transformation taking place. And yes, it is a work of the Holy Spirit in us. But it is a cooperative work in the sense that we come alongside 
And we flee from the things that He says to flee from. And we run to the things He says to run to. And through that obedience, we find blessing. And from that blessing, we see growth. Continued growth in our spiritual lives. Well, very quickly, the results. The results of total commitment. These come from from verses 1 and 2 as well. We see, first of all, that, that in this total commitment, we please God. Because it says here, in, uh, in the middle of verse 1, that when we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, they are holy and acceptable to God. Some, some versions use the word please, pleasing to God. And so, so this, is, this is saying to us, you and I, we have the possibility of pleasing the Lord. And part of that is how we live our lives, whether or not we are totally committed to Him. I love what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9. He said, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to do what? To please Him. Now that's, that's a great word for college students going back to school, right? Whether you're home or whether you're away. That's a great word for guys who are maybe on the road this week for business. Whether we are at home or whether we are away, our aim is to please Him. That's a good word for each of us as we move throughout the routine of our work week. Whether we are here in the church or whether we are at the company or whether we are in the classroom, it's our aim to do what? To please Him. And I ask you, church, in light of verse 1, do you think that this is a, a reasonable thing that we would want to please Him? In light of what all He has done for us and what all He has provided, isn't this really... A, 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 a very fitting response? I think it is. To please God and secondly, to discern God's will. Because it says that when our minds are transformed and we're able to think and to see things differently, we're able then to discover the will of God. And I think the will of God obviously is, 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 uh, is explained in His Word and it gives us uh, principles to live by that are part of His will. But I know that there's also specific situations that come up where we are trying to discern the will of God. And by having this type of commitment, by having this kind of walk with Jesus Christ and this kind of commitment to Him, it makes it easier for us also to understand His will. Well, as we wrap things up this morning, let me ask you just a few questions. And I hope that you see that as I, as I ask these questions to you, I also ask these questions to myself. Because I think each of us need to, to once again consider the commitment level that we have made to Christ. Doesn't matter how young or how old. Doesn't matter how, how, how uh, recent or how long our, com- our initial commitment to Christ was. These are questions for all of us. The first one is, are we committing all to Him? Are we all in? Or have we allowed something in this life to to pull us back and ratchet that commitment back. The second question is, if there is something that's holding you back from being all in, can you identify what it is? Can you identify it? And ask God to, to help that not come in between the relationship that you have with Him. And the final one is a question of sacrifice. How today can you, how today can I, Live a life that signifies a sacrifice is being made for our Savior Jesus Christ. 
How does He provide the opportunity for us to live in a sacrificial way? For some of you, these are questions that you've considered before. It may be a time to to renew commitments. But there may be some among us that have not yet made a commitment to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're considering what it means to follow Him and to trust Him and to have your identity in Jesus Christ. I would love to talk with you and pray with you more about what that means. When the service is over, you're invited to stay. As we go out the doors to the back, to the left, there's a response area. I would love to to talk with you more about what it means to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, to have Him as your Lord and Savior. But for all of us, there's questions to consider. I just pray that even as we respond today, that God will lead and direct our thoughts, that we can, that we can live that life of sacrifice, a living sacrifice unto Him. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of the worship that has happened in this place today as we have sung, as we have prayed, as we have opened up Your Word. And God, we pray now that You will take what could be a heavy thought, a heavy passage, a challenging passage, and Lord, make it something that is doable today. Because we know that what you call us to, you are willing to provide. And so we ask, Lord, for grace. We ask for strength. We pray for a renewed commitment. The Lord, we can live a life like the one that is described here in Romans 12. Father, we pray for any among us that have not yet placed faith in your Son, Jesus, as Savior. Lord, may, may you draw them to yourself. May this be a day, a day of salvation for them. And we lift this up to you now, thanking you for the opportunity to live for you. We pray also for the offering that's about to be received, and we ask, Lord, that you will bless it. We know that what we give back has first come through your hands, and so we give it back to you as a gift of worship today. And we thank you that we can give. And we pray that you'll bless it to the furtherance of your work in this community and around the world. For it's in Christ's name that we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen.